Well, in this, uh, this age of social media, I, I got to ask a quick question. How many of you have podcasts or blogs that you follow, that you read, that you like to do it? You can put your hands up. Don't be embarrassed. This isn't a trick question. I promise. Um, how many of you, like, you have certain books or authors that you like to read? Do, do you guys read? Is, no one reads anymore? Okay. Are you just not awake or is it? Okay. My assumption is that you do have some kind of podcast, some kind of training, something that you like to listen to. I do too. There are a lot of podcasts that I prefer um, and there are some that I don't prefer, but I listen to them anyways. Um, there are also authors I read and, and authors I, I read that I, I disagree with. And then there are some scholars out there that I joke about, like I've asked them into my heart because I follow them so much and I love them. Um, I, I kid, the danger is, is that a lot of us, though, we, do, we follow these podcasts, we follow these leaders, we follow these people, and we really have no idea who they are. We read these blogs as if it's 100% truth. And there's a, there's a lot of danger in that. We're going to talk about that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew um, chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 is where we are today. Um, and and this, this, this last bit of text as we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus is kind of rapid-firing truths in, in pairs. And before Easter, we were, we were in the text, I guess before Palm Sunday, we were in the text of, of twos. You either take the narrow road or the broad road. And he's kind of hitting what he's already said in the sermon. But he's doing it in pairs, meaning you're here or you're here, you're here or you're here. And he's, he's basically laying it down saying there is no middle ground. There is no, there is no um, in-between. There's this, there's this version or this version. And so when it comes to this, this time and age and we, where we have podcasts that are at our fingertips, we have blog, blog posts in the place that are amazing. And here, here's the reason why this is so dangerous is I can, I can listen to someone and I can hear what they're saying and, and align it up to text and be like, that is truth. That is awesome. But, but I don't know this person. I don't know what this person does outside of how they write on a blog post. I don't know how they live their life. And although we can say it, and just, to, just to make sure that you understand what I'm saying is, is how many of you have Facebook or Instagram? Raise your hand if you have Facebook or Instagram. Okay, and how often do you put up pictures of um, what you look like when you woke up in the morning? I mean, how, like, seriously, how many are like, oh, man, this is me, like, drool kind of hanging out of the beard, and, and that's kind of gross, but true. Um, but you, you're, you, put those, you don't put those pictures up. You know, you're going on a date with your spouse, and you get in this horrible fight, and then you take a picture at the dinner table, we're on our date, right? Like, no, there's, there's, no, there's no sense of how awesome or how horrible the night was. And my point is, is that, that social media has allowed us to pretend to be people, and we can share aspects of our life with people from from kind of mass out there, like, this is who I am, this is what I like, and we'll put scripture up there, and I'm not saying any of this is bad, but we'll put this stuff up, and, and, and really, we could be hollowing ourselves out or, or, or dying inside, and I think the issue with that is, is that I can, I can listen to an author, and I can't tell you how many times have you followed a podcast or you've seen some pastor that you listen to that, that three years, six years, ten years later, their life is in shambles, and you're like, when did, when did they get there? How did they get there? And the, the problem is, is that most of, most of the pastors that become kind of mainstream pastors that have these podcasts that we all listen to, their life is on it like there's a microscope over their life, but really not really how they live during the week, but how they speak at conferences and what book they're writing and how they communicate. And so the incredible danger is, is that you and I can be following these men and women out there that are, that are writing and that are amazing, that we have no idea how they live their life. We have no idea how they treat their, their spouse or their kids. We have no idea what's going on. And so to make you all incredibly paranoid today, don't follow anyone. <laughs> no. The text where we're at is, is, is a difficult one. In fact, it's a text I don't like, mainly because um, it's really hard to figure out how to, to preach out of, and specifically because it's dealing with false prophets. 
meaning people that stand in my position and teach. And it's talking specifically about them. And as much as I would love to say, all right, here's how it applies to you guys, and here's how you guys are, you guys are off the hook today. So you get to kind of look at me and, and, and condemn and, and line up and figure out what you do or don't like about me and just enjoy it, like have fun doing that. So let's read the text today, and then we'll, then we'll dig in, and you guys can just rest easy going, yeah, easy day. Uh, Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And so this whole, this whole text is talking about false prophets. And so what are, what, are, what are the prophets and what are false? So a prophet essentially is, is God's messenger. It's, it's someone that has something to say that is, that is from God for people to follow. And, and in modern day, it can be a pastor teaching. It can be sharing scripture. There, there is still, I believe, the gift of prophecy in place, but a lot of times it's, it's used and utilized through scripture alone and what that's saying. And so there are people that, that literally are, are God's people that, that have something to ta- share or speak from God for his followers. And then the word false comes in front of that, and that's where we get our English word pseudo. So like a pseudonym is a, is a, is a name that an, a, an author will use as a fictitious name. So it means false. It's, it's obviously fake, a wannabe. So a false prophet is someone who presents himself or herself as God's messenger but is deceiving, but is a deceiver. So a false prophet is someone that is, is, is deceptive. And we're not talking, and, and there are different kinds of false prophets talked about in, in the Bible. And there, there are people that that, that are, are led astray, so then they're leading people astray. And then there are people that are um, just flat out like hate God and therefore saying the opposite of God. And, and th- what this level of false prophets, what he's talking about, are people that pretend to love God, that pretend to look like God, and that, that are deceivers, that are deceptive. And this is the most dangerous kind. In fact, in, 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 in Zechariah 13.4, he talks about prophets who dressed in hairy robes to look like prophets but weren't really prophets to deceive. Their whole point was to deceive. And so the, the prophets in that day, would, they would dress in, in, in hairy robes and not the nice stuff, and it was their way of foregoing the worldly comforts to say that they are God's chosen people. And so what was happening is people would dress like that to deceive people. And so Jesus is saying here, he's, he's saying they look like shepherds, but they're wolves. Again, a shepherd would have had woolen clothes taken from the wool of the sheep they tend to. And he's saying they, they dress the part, they look the part, they stand up, they preach, they say things, they look the part, but they're false. This is the basis of that people can be standing in my position and doing what I'm doing and be false at what they're doing. This is a very dangerous text, very, a very tough text to, to stomach, especially when you stand in my position. So he says, how do, we, how do we discern? How do we figure out who is false and who is not? Especially since, let's be honest, if you look at anything in the world, the easiest way to deceive someone isn't to come in the opposite of what truth is. It's to come in as close as you possibly can and just a little off so that people's guards are down. So it looks right and it makes sense. But, but when you get further and further down the road, you're further and further and further away. Let's be honest. You can name a religion out there 
that is so close, so close in every aspect, but oh, just this one or this area or this area. And it's leading people astray. And so there's this warning. He says, guard against this. Watch out. Be aware of these false prophets. And then he goes on to say this, this, this fruit idea. Well, we can tell who they are by their fruit, by, by what comes out of them. He lays out different kinds of fruit. In, in the context here, it refers to the manner of life or what a person does. The fruit is the inevitable result of who we are and how we behave. So what he's saying is, is that, that, that no matter what I say I believe, no matter what I teach, no matter how I'm doing it, sooner or later, the fruit that I'm producing is going to show. And he uses this idea of thorn bushes and, and figs and, and gathering from there. A, a fig or a grape could grow and it could be around a thorn bush. So at a distance, it looks like it's right. But as you get closer, you realize there's, there's, it's, it's in a thorn bush. It's not, there's not, it's not of a healthy tree. And then he has this, this idea of b- diseased or bad trees and, and good trees. And the idea of a diseased tree is it's, it's exceptionally dangerous. See, at least when you get closer to a, 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 a fig that's in a thorn bush or a grape that's in thorns, you can see, oh, hey, it looked right, but it's, it's not. So, so put that in the context of all the people, the authors and the blog posts and the, the podcasts that we're listening to. From a distance, man, it looks like it's fruit from a good tree. But you can't really know until you get closer. And the problem with a diseased tree, with a, with a bad tree, the context of this is that everything looks right. The tree looks right. The fruit's the right color. But it's bitter. It's poisonous. It's not right. There's, there's so many. I'm not a, any way good with plants. So if I had to be on my own out in the public or out in the wild, I'd totally eat something that I shouldn't and probably die. That's just the way it is. I say, oh, it looks like a blueberry. You know, it could be a, look like a banana that bad. But, but <laughs> the point is, is that, that a bad tree, a diseased tree, it looks the part. You get up close, you kind of knock on it, you kind of see where things are. And essentially what he's saying is, is, as most of us know in the Northwest, that fruit has seasons. At some point, fruit is going to be produced. A time is going to show up, and you're going to see whether or not that, tr- that fruit is good or bad. And he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit, good, good fruit, good fruit is, it needs to be cut down, chopped away. It's, not, it's useless. If it's bad fruit, why, why keep it in place? Why allow it to be poisonous? And then he goes on to saying that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good and I think the context for this is that, is, that, is, that, is that Jesus' point is that it's impossible for a tree to bear fruit which is contrary to its nature. Think about it. It's, it's impossible. It wouldn't take long for me to argue with you guys that an apple tree will never produce a banana. You guys, I could, I could argue, argue, argue until I'm blue in the face, and you're like, you're, you're, a, you're a dork, Brent. That makes no sense at all. Similarly, what he's saying is it's, it's that possible. Healthy trees can't bear the kind of fruit that is natural to a bad tree. Conversely, a bad tree completely lacks the ability to bear good fruit. So as I started chewing on this and and, and realizing that, okay, so what Jesus is essentially saying is that character is a sufficiently tested way of fruit, meaning that the character can be what we look at in someone, not reputation, because let's be honest, there's a lot of really, really great reputations out there that are messed up people. And what's, what's really troubling with this is that, is that we can look at reputation, which is what the man kind of shows what they are, but God looks at the character, which is how he knows you are. You can't hide character from God. 
And ultimately, what Jesus is saying is character will show over time. You can't hide it forever. You can't, you can't pretend. See, the basic fault of a false prophet, the basic fault of someone standing up here to be a false prophet is self-interest. Do you get it? It's me standing up here going, oh, man, that's a, that's a hard truth. You know, if I just said it a little bit differently and make it a little less difficult to understand, I want to eliminate pain. I want it to be easy. I don't want people to not like me. It's self-interest. So how do we identify false prophets? I thought of some, there's some, some pretty basic um, principles or questions we can ask. And you can usually not recognize a false prophet on what they do, but you can recognize them by what they ignore. See, because here's the thing. There's a lot of people that can look the part really well. In fact, I don't know if you know history, but Jim Jones... I mean, there was a kind of a messed up belief guy. He had thousands of people following him because of what he was doing. But see, what he was doing was he was also ignoring specific truths. He was ignoring Scripture that, oh, I don't want that to apply to me. And so if I just overwhelm you with all this stuff over here, you won't really pay attention to what I'm ignoring. And so you can ask some very basic questions. What do they ignore? You know, if a if pastor stands up here, if I stand up here and you guys are like, yeah, you know, he's teaching and he's, you know, six out of ten, I give him for preaching, pretty good. But, but man, the guy is such a jerk every other day of the week. He's just harsh. He's rude. He's short-tempered. It's all stuff that the Bible tells of what the character of a man of God is supposed to look like. Oh, man, he's, he's horrible to his spouse. But man, you know, he's six out of ten in preaching. So you can usually tell by what they ignore. Similarly, like, oh, you know what, like, um, because I'm a pastor and I, there's freedom and it's awesome, we can, we can drink alcohol, that's great, but, but when, you know, sometimes I drink a little bit too much. So you can usually identify a false prophet, not by, by what they're doing, but what they ignore when it comes to truth. But unless you know them, unless you spend any time with them, unless you experience them or see them outside of just a microphone or a Facebook post or behind a, the, the, a podcast or behind a book, you don't really know the character that's there. So you can, you can pay attention to the manner they're living. Do they, do they show righteousness and humility? Do they, you, can, you, can, you can pay attention to the content of their message. You know, are they preaching Christ alone, are they, are they preaching messages to tickle ears, to make people like them? Self-interest. You can pay attention to the fruit of their preaching, the teaching. Are people that are following them actually getting transformed lives in Jesus Christ, or are they kind of hanging around because it's fun for a while and then falling away? And as I was chewing on this, is, is is I realize that, that even what's really hard about this text is though, even though I can listen to um, a, uh, a Tim Keller and be like, man, the guy's just a rock when it comes to theology. Man, he's teaching so much stuff. And it's just awesome. I have no idea necessarily the fruits are there. There are people that I know, people that I love, people that I spend time with, that the fruit is there in their life. Man, I see so many ways they serve, they're selfless and all these other things, but the truth isn't there. I know that seems weird, but it's like when they come to, the, come to truth, they're like, yeah, you know, I, I, Jesus was a good dude. I'm not really sure he was God. But come on, let's, let's go over here and serve. Let's go over here and show. And so what I realized is that not only can we not rely just on fruit to discern a false prophet, but we have to rely on what truth is there. And so I honestly got a little frustrated on how to discern all of this. 
And as I started chewing on what are ways that you can be looking out at people in my position or anyone in the blog post, or how can I equip you guys to be ready to attack and discern what is false and what is true? And as I chewed on that, it hit me. What, do we, how, what, do we, what, what fruit are we looking for? Biblically, what is fruit? You know this, does anyone know this? Like, do, do we have a text that tells us what fruit is biblically? Fruit of the Spirit, thank you. Someone in the back row, usually it's the front row. Come on, guys, like, that's awesome, nice work. We have biblically, Galatians 5.22 through 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And see, if you lined up my life or, or any other pastor's life in place, do you see the character that's marked by, am I, am I characterized by gentleness, by goodness, the, the desire to see others better off, faithfulness, self-control. And what I realize is that we have a basis at which we can line up fruit in someone's life because it'd be really, really hard to display the fruit of the Spirit without the truth of Christ. In fact, I think it's pretty impossible. And so what I realized as I was looking at this is that usually when one of these things are missing, Love, joy, it's a submission or a surrender issue to God. I mean, I am, I'm not going to surrender my joy because I want control of my life. I can't really have peace because I'm too anxious because what happens, it doesn't happen, which really goes back to control and lack of trust in who God is. See, we are incapable of discerning what is false and true without the Spirit of God. We need Him to lead us into truth. And then it hit me. If your life is false, you'll never, ever know what's true. And so I know at the beginning I joked and said, you guys are off the hook, but actually I'm going to go ahead and flip the tables for a second and say, no, you're, you're back on the hook, sorry. See, the, the problem is that you will never be able to discern what blog post or podcast or person preaching on a Sunday or anyone's life for that matter is true if you are false. You can't see truth through false in your own life. It clouds and messes it up and, and ruins your discernment. And as, as, as disciples of Jesus, we're called to live a life that points to Christ. A few texts early, Jesus told us to be light and salt to this world. We have the Great Commission coming, like, go into all the nations. That is for everyone that is surrendered. That is it for everyone that follows Jesus. So guess what? You're all teachers. You're all prophets by the way you speak and the way you live your life. So you're not off the hook either. So are you bearing fruit? Is your life full of it? I, uh, I like to go on vacation. I think most people do. And I like to go to vacation like out of state. And mainly, this, is, this sounds bad. You guys may be um, concerned for me, which is good. Um, but I like to go because I can not be a pastor when I'm out of town. And that may not make you like, whoa, wait, what do you mean? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult job. There's, there's a lot of weight to it, and it's nice to go to town. Now, if I went out of town with my wife and said, sweet, I'm not a pastor, and I just waylaid my life and dis, disengaged from everything, like, let's drink it up, and let's party, and let's have fun, and there would be a very large issue with my heart. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with me wanting to leave town and go, you know what, like, I, I just need a break. I need people that, that don't necessarily identify me as a pastor, so they're not coming to me as a pastor. It's just nice to, to get away and get a little bit of a break. But I can't eliminate the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I can't go out there and go, sweet, I don't have to be patient. 
get over your kids. You know, I can't, I can't do that, right? Like, <laughs> we're going to make up for lost time this last year. Like, that doesn't work. The, the point is, is, that, is that I don't get to be off duty. Maybe as a pastor, but not as a follower of Jesus. And they hit me, that's, that's you guys. Just because you're not standing up here teaching and preaching doesn't mean you get to be off duty on Saturday nights or at work Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, or on lunch break with those people or in that relationship or at school or on your computer. And it hit me. The way that we live our lives, the way that we speak to people, we are just as capable of being false prophets in our day-to-day lives. Because if really, truly, discipleship is, in, is, is the point at which I come across anyone, I'm called to be light in this dark world and salt. Right? So anyone I come across at a coffee shop while I'm driving and they cut me off, like there's an opportunity to be off duty or to be a follower of Christ. So how, how do we discern? How do you and I live our lives going around realizing that some people are false and some people are true? It's a big enough warning that we see it over and over in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Beware, beware, be on guard. How do we do this? And I, I, it's, it's really kind of simple. First one is we have to have the Holy Spirit. We have to have the Holy Spirit of God residing in us to discern what is truth. Without the Spirit, we have no discernment. And so how, how do we get the Holy Spirit? By, by surrendering our lives to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And see, now here's, here's the key. It's hinged on Him. See, because I can, I can like the idea of Jesus Christ. I can think He's a pretty cool dude. But if I'm not submitted and surrendered to Him as King and Lord of my life, then I'm not fully surrendered or submitted to Him. And the scriptures teach us that when we submit our life to him, he sends his Holy Spirit to take up residence in us, to, 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 to reside in us. So I have the Spirit of God living in me, and if you are surrendered to Christ, you do too. And the point of that is, is that we're not called to have it living inside of us at our foot sometimes, and every now and then we pull it out and be like, sweet, let's use this thing. What's it going to do for me? We're called to walk in step with it. We're called to follow it, to let, let him lead us, let him guide us. So you need the Holy Spirit. So if you've been trying to discern what's false and true in your whole life, but you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, the truth, then you're, you're in a losing battle. You've lost. You'll never, ever, ever win in that. Which then got me thinking, because I know a lot of you in here, you're church, and you've been around the church for a long time, and the Holy Spirit is like, oh, he's weird. He's the third part of the Trinity. We're not really sure how to explain him, and I'm not really sure he exists because I don't really experience much of my life, and I realize that there are ways that we can actually enable and strengthen the Holy Spirit inside of us or hinder him. And what I realize is that's, that's us spending time in his word. And this is it, guys. This is, don't rely on me and the few verses I read on Sunday to be your time in God's word. Don't rely on some other podcast or some other study of the Bible, but just open up your Bible and let the Holy Spirit speak to you through his words. I'm not saying that podcasts and, and Bible studies and all those things are bad. They're, they're good. They're this great. But they're all trying to point to the very same thing. This, the truth of Jesus Christ. We must be feeling the Holy Spirit. With the Word of God. Now, this is interesting because my assumption is 
Now remember, I, I said you're back on the hook, so this may come across harsh. My assumption is that, that a majority of you never opened this this week. Not the specific Bible, if you're trying to be too literal, but actually your own. You haven't. In fact, you know what's funny? We have a bunch of Bibles in our lost and found. It's like busted. If you got your name on there, sorry, dude. Like, you're totally busted. <laughs> oh, no, I got another one. I use my phone app. Okay, sure, great. That's awesome. But here's the question for you. Are you, are you reading God's Word? In fact, we know, like, here, here's, here's the problem. You've read it, right? Oh, I did the Bible plan when I, was, when I was 16, and I read through the whole Bible, so I'm done. I don't need to read it anymore. Lie. How many times, just raise your hand so we can, and be honest, this may be dangerous. Okay, I'm going to do it either way. How many times have you read a verse that you've already read, that you've heard before, and it hit your life in a completely different way? Has it ever happened to you? Raise your hand. Look around. So why would we ignore this? Why would we assume that because we've heard it once before, it's enough? In fact, Hebrews has a voice. The author, the author of Hebrews has a, has a verse that talks about this. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 says about this, and he's talking about Jesus Christ and, and who he is and what all of this means. He's like, I would love to take you further into what this means, but it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Whoever lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You know what stinks about this verse? Is we can have a bunch of 40-year-olds walking around in diapers. Is essentially what he's saying. People that look like they should be incredibly mature in the faith. They spent, I, you know, I followed Christ for 40 years. It's like, have you really? Because an act of surrender at one point doesn't mean true growth or training. In fact, he's telling us right here, like, look, there can be spiritual babies that have been around God for a long time. In fact, I don't care if you have your PhD in theology. The point of this text is that you are never done learning more the character of God and the knowledge of Him and the love of Him. Do you see that we're never done? And what's sad is that some of you are going, yeah, when I was 16, I had a prayer. We see it every time we do baptisms, we see it. Oh, I, I totally believed it at one point, but then my life showed something completely different for the last 10 years. But now I'm really, truly ready to surrender. People that, that, that said, you know, I'm going to rest on the, the studies I had a long time ago. I'm going to rest on my intelligence level as opposed to allowing the Spirit of God to continue to, to apply and transform and cut at me, challenge me, encourage me. And you know how you can tell if you're a spiritual babe? Is that every time someone brings up something, if you go, that one time I read, and you're thinking back to a sermon, <laughs> back to a podcast, and you're like, no, you know, I haven't actually spent any time in God's Word on my own. I'm not talking about some this, like regimented system where I, every day at 15 minutes and the first thing in the morning, I'm talking about like the joy of who God is. The spirit inside of us is, is clamoring, is desiring, is compelling us to spend time with our Heavenly Father. So the only way we will discern good from evil, the only way we will understand who is false and who is true is if we have Him living inside of us and we are fueling Him. We are spending time getting to know more of God through His power. He is, he is revealing the scriptures to us. And another way that we can discern this is, is another practice that I think as Christians we love to forego in our lives, and that's prayer. 
Jesus regularly, we have, we have four counts of him, and regularly we see him escaping away to spend time in prayer with his Father. Are you, are you spending time praying? Here, here, here's how I know that this is an issue in our life, is that all of you have some circumstance going on. Tough, difficult, hard, choices need to be made, unknown futures. You're like, I don't know. And you're doing, the two, you're, doing, you're doing two things that are completely hindering you. One is you're not spending any time in God's word, and you're not spending any time before him in prayer. If you want to discern truth, you've got to spend time with him. See, it's interesting. I, I, like I said, I like to read authors and listen to podcasts to people that I know I, I actually theologically really disagree with. I do that not on a regular basis, but I sprinkle those in there, mainly because I feel like the more that I can hear other perspectives, it allows me to see more and more where I'm grounded in who Christ is in my life. And I appreciate that. But some of you, I would say, don't do that because you're babies and you're going to be led astray. And here's the problem. is Some of you think you're mature, but you're actually babies, listening to some blog posts, some podcasts, and it is, whew, you're way off in left field. You're following someone that isn't really worth following. Just Jesus just warned us early in this chapter to look at the, the speck in our own li- eye before we look at the, the log in the other. So he kind of said, before you judge anyone else, judge yourself. So I guess the question in this text is in false and true, or false and good, or false and true and good and bad fruit. Like what the question here is, is do I bear fruit, good fruit for the glory of God? That's the question every single one of us should be asking in our lives right now of ourselves before we even begin to ask that of someone else. Is my life marked by his truth? Am, am I bearing good fruit? Which is interesting. I spent some time studying fruit this week, so I'm not an expert by fruit by any means, but, but it was quite interesting. And what I realized is if we live in the Northwest, and you, you all know that um, fruit grows at certain seasons, right? There's a season at which it makes sense to grow. And so, so for most of us, we know, okay, well, if that's the case, if we apply, apply that to our life, then that means that some of you right now, you're walking your life, and you're not seeing a lot of fruit, but you're in a, you're in a season of, of, of being watered and, and in control or pruned or cut back because it's the end of the season. God is working on you. And sooner or later, good fruit is going to be bared. So then I ask the question, well, does fruit bear year-round? And you know, actually, in, in fruit in its native environment, like in the Spanish, down in the Spanish, southern Spain, Oranges grow year-round. You can have a blossom and a fruit on the very same tree. And so then I go, well, wait. So, so does that mean that me, as a follower of Jesus, can, can, be, can be blossoming, can be blossoming, can be being, getting pruned, being cut away the things that don't match him, and be bearing fruit at the same time? I think, yeah. In fact, to go one step further, I learned about um, you can, if you spend enough money on heating and lighting and feeding, most plants will grow year-round. You can actually make plants go around year-round. And then there's this other thing that I learned about, which is it's hydroponics. Some of you are like, yeah, I know what that means. Um, I didn't. Um, <laughs> it's the process of growing plants in sand, gravel, or liquid, liquid with added nutrients completely free of soil. And it made me, it made me think is, for a second, if I am a holy priest set apart, not because I'm teaching, but as a follower of Jesus, if I am set apart for him, living in a world that is not my home, then really I can bear fruit year-round without the soil and the right weather. Not because I have enough money. Not because I'm really, really awesome. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and doesn't need this world to bear fruit. 
See, and so you and I are meant to bear fruit, not just in seasons, although that may be your life. You may be in a, in a hard pruning series of your life. You may just be like getting cut away and that hurts and it's painful. My encouragement to you would be stay put. Don't run from the pain. God is doing something amazing. If you've ever spent any time pruning, which me, I just cut off, but if you've ever spent any time pruning something, the next season it comes back incredibly beautiful. I usually kill it. That's my own problem. But, but the point is, is fruit can happen in your life no matter where your circumstances are. So if you, you're in a spot where you're like, man, I'm in college. I'm, I'm just, it doesn't make sense. I have no roots. There's no, there's no family. How am I supposed to bear fruit in this? Well, if we can make plants work, through a thing called hydroponics, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead can bring fruit in your life no matter what your circumstances are. But you have to rest in that. You have to allow Him to work in that. In fact, um, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, is a, it's an it's a amazing text that I'm going to totally um, not do any, any justice to because we don't have time for it, but I really recommend going back and opening your Bible, that's what they're called, and spending some time reading it um, and looking into this, verses 1, th- 5 through 8 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. See, if these qualities are yours they keep you from actually being unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former former sins. See, I think a mature believer recognizes the nearsightedness that comes from not actually growing in faith, not actually learning more, spending time with God. We aren't meant to just be saved. We talked about this last week in Easter. The gospel doesn't just save us. It sustains us and compels us to live forward. So every day our life should look more and more and more like Jesus Christ and less and less like ourselves. It's a process at which he's going to cut away the branches that don't matter. He's going to cut away the things that aren't of him. And he's going to blossom some truth in you. But if you're not applying this, if you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in this, then you're blind. You're blind to truth. And here's the worst part. When you're blind to truth, you know what? Someone's going to say something that makes a lot of sense, that's really close to truth, that you're going to go, that's it. And you're going to hang your hat on that, and you're going to follow it like it's, it's truth, and you're going to be way off, way off. Stop relying on blogs, sermons, and people. Open your Bible. Speak to your Father. Let the Spirit lead you. And again, listen to blogs. Listen to podcasts. Open up Bible studies. Get creative if you want to figure out ways to get more in this word. Then do it. But our reliance is on the Holy Spirit. Our reliance is on Christ and what he did. Not on my own strength. See, if I'm relying on tools around me and I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, then you forgot the very beginning. Surrender. Surrender to him. You're not going to muscle up enough strength to do this. It's his spirit that's going to do it. And the only way you're going to feel his spirit is to know more of his truth and to spend more time with your fathers in heaven. Sounds so simple, I get that, and it's incredibly difficult for us to do. You want to know how you can tell what you're doing? Same way you can tell if what I'm doing is wrong is look at the fruit. What fruit's in your life? Are you bearing good fruit or bad fruit? Jesus went right at the beginning, he applied it to the false prophets. You can't do both. 
You're not possible of being both. You're one or the other. My assumption is, and, and we'll get to this text later on in Matthew, but my assumption is that there's a lot of branches on each of us that need a lot of sawing off by God. We sprouted up some flesh and some ugliness. We've forgotten, like First Peter's telling us, that we were, you know, our former sins. We're running back to the former sins when really we're, we're, we're moving forward away from those. The, the band's going to come up, and we're going we're to worship some more, but I guess maybe one of the questions you can ask yourself is who are you following? Who in your life are you following? You know, each of us have them. I have people that, like, I'll be studying text, and when, when scholars tend to disagree a lot across the text, I'm like, oh, great, now what? Like, I don't know what to do. I will usually find myself bending towards one or the other. Like, ah, you know what? I really have I've agreed most of the way across the board with this dude, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that. But the problem is, is some of you are doing that with people that you don't know at all. I mean, you're, you're following people that you have no idea who they are. I mean, Similar to most scholars and old people, I don't know who they are. There's some biographies about them. Heard about their life. People talked about their life. Maybe the better question then is this. Not who are you following, but what would, what would not some random Joe, not some random person, but what would your spouse write about you years down the road of your life? And not if they weren't worried about hurting your feelings, but like the truth. Like what would they really say? Like here's what I saw in your life. And, and maybe that's too, that hurts too much. Let's just, let's just say it this way. Anyone that, that's around you that's a person, it's a reputation. Your character, God actually knows your character. So what story would he write about your life? Would he write one of, of the fruit, of the surrender, of the peace and the joy and the patience of that actually be prevalent? Or would he be writing one of bitterness and anger and hatred and laziness and, and drunkenness and I don't really care, it's not really that big a deal? What story would he be writing? And I don't ask you that to make you feel guilty Oh, man, you know, guilt and shame run back to God. No, we're free from that in him. But just like when I came to this text and said, I didn't like it because it it, it scares me to think that there are times in which I could be communicating something that is false. It's a very, very scary feeling. So I guess I I bring it up with you not to make you feel guilty or to to shame and, okay, I guess I'll read your word, God. So you can run back to a father that in spite of the fact that he knows your character, absolutely loves you. In spite of the fact that he knows what fruit is present and not present, he loves you. Would you submit your life to him? Would you allow his spirit to work through you in a way that he never has before? Would you allow your life to be marked with fruit that is good? Fruit that that is worth following. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word, thank you for um, the, the hardness of it at times. God, I know that um, each of us can struggle so much daily to follow you. And it's a daily process of us dying to ourselves, a daily process of us surrendering to your Holy Spirit. God, would your spirit, would he be alive in us? Would we be, um, would we be people that are, that are marked by your truth, that, that, that surrender completely to the truth of you alone and no one else and nothing else? And out of that truth, our life bears incredible fruit for your glory, not for ours. May we be people that the way we live our lives, that the story that would be told at the end, the way that would be written, it wouldn't be like, oh, Bren, you're amazing, you're an awesome person. But man, he was surrendered to God. He was submitted to God. He was fallible. He was messed up. At times he really, really failed. But his life was the Lord's. My prayer is, God, that, that each of us would be able to say that. 
with a confidence, not a pride, but a confidence and humility, knowing that, that in you it is possible. God, for those in the room that, that just keep living a false life, that, that just are okay with it, that keep ignoring your truths, God, would you just wreak havoc on their heart? Would you push in hard, push in so hard that they can't escape so that when they come out of the other side, they actually come out looking more like you and less like them? God, for those that are in that process right now that just feel like there's just a, a pressing and a pushing and a hard, hard, hard amount of weight on them, would you, would you remind them that although that is present, you still absolutely love them and you're doing it because you love them? You have not forsaken them? And God, for those of us that um, probably need to blow some dust off our Bibles, God, um, when we open it this week, would your spirit that, that's alive inside of us be alive? And would you transform the words into our hearts? Would you... Would you do something amazing in the word as we spend it, whether we're in, in numbers or in one of the gospels? God, may you um, allow your word to just break our hearts apart, to show your truth, and may our lives be marked by it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.